from Wyoming Public Media. This, this, this is this is spoken 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 words spoken words. This is spoken words. I'm Micah Schweitzer. On the one hand, my dad's family history, they were homesteaders. They were orphans from Germany. Then on my mom's side, they came from China. So what happens when you bring those together? I'm finding that out now. In this episode, we're hearing from Sarah Hayden, a journalist and storyteller, or as she prefers it, story sharer, who chronicles the Asian American experience in the Mountain West. Hayden was born and raised in Wyoming. She's written for the Los Angeles Times and the San Francisco Chronicle, amongst others, and currently runs the Silk Knots Project. That's a platform for collecting and preserving stories of those who aren't often thought of as part of the American West, but whose lives are integral to its development. One of Hayden's recent essays is called Living Room. I was hanging out with my grandmother um, a couple months ago, and I realized that it's been a while since I've been back, and it's been a while since I've been back as an adult. So kind of coming um, back with this perspective of, wow, things have really changed since what I remember most strongly from my childhood. And so just kind of understanding her context better and diving into that experience of being able to spend time with her now. So here's Hayden reading from Living Room. As the screen door swings open without its familiar screech, I don't recognize the house I visited since childhood. Where the hell has the shag carpet gone? All I see is shiny, blonde, hardwood floors. Grandma, the house looks amazing, I say in shock. After more than 40 years, the Laramie house she moved into with Grandpa in the 1970s suddenly feels open, airy. With the carpet ripped out from under my feet, how foreign the familiar has become. As a kid, Grandpa and Grandma Wong struck me as an immutable, constant force, strong as this red brick house where they laid their American dream. In World War II, Grandpa fought as a member of a nearly all-Asian American platoon in the U.S. Army. When the Japanese burned down her village in China, Grandma fled on foot. Together, they had survived and made a life here in Wyoming. After all that, I thought I would always be able to see them both at home, a constant and comforting presence. Of course, that's not how life works. Grandpa is gone. My 90-year-old grandma sits on a love seat facing the flat-screen TV, a pillow prop behind her lower back. No worldly event can make her miss the Denver Broncos. Thank you, she smiles. The gnarled knuckles of her thin fingers wrap tightly around my freckled ones. Her muscles are sinewy, her skin soft, a play in contrast between a lifetime of hardship and a heart full of tenderness. I love the feel of her hand around mine. Now she tunes into the game. I marvel at the changes around the living room. Everything is different except for a velvety blue recliner where Grandpa used to kick back and watch right by her side. He loved these teams just as much as Grandma. My grandparents came from different worlds. Grandpa from a family of tailors in Montana, and Grandma from a family of high social standing in what was once Canton. Their marriage had been arranged. My eldest aunt jokes that their beloved sports teams brought them together all these years. When Grandpa died, we buried him facing the Medicine Bow Mountains near an evergreen tree. The annual fanfare of decorating the living room Christmas tree has been replaced by hanging a single Broncos ornament there. Other changes stand out to me. Grandma's green thumb and patient tending inspire plants to blossom by the garage door, a silent symbol of perseverance and renewal. She's refurbished furniture and appliances and faithfully updates her lunar calendar annually. It dawns on me that none of these changes happened overnight. They had been in motion for years. My dad says that the secret to driving well is to treat it as a slow, constant correction, a series of subtle adaptations. Maybe life is like that too. 
changing a life on the Pearl River Delta for one on the Great Plains, conversations in Cantonese for pleasantries in English, or even shag carpet for hardwood floors. Change is essential to carrying on, moving forward, living. Grandma is better at that than anyone I know. I bring out an old album from a dusty drawer. Tucked into its pages is a photograph of two faces, clear as moons in black and white. It's my grandparents, newly engaged in Hong Kong. The year is 1946. They're beautiful, almost kids, a young couple who one day finds love. There's grandpa in a modern suit and grandma in a traditional high-collared chi pao before she traded it out for wide-circled skirts and red heels upon her U.S. arrival. When I point out the engagement photo to grandma, she positively beams. Look at how much they changed in more than 50 years of marriage. Look at what they built. She squeezes my hand. The Broncos game gently roars in the background, and Grandpa's blue recliner remains beside her. As she discusses in the essay, much of her interest in identity has been sparked by the stories of her maternal grandparents. My grandfather is ethnically Cantonese, but um, he came to Wyoming via Montana. And so uh, what actually brought him back to China was the death of his father. And so traditionally, as the oldest son, he was expected to bury his father back in China. And it was during this period that World War II broke out. And the village where he was at was near where my grandmother is from. And so they actually had an arranged marriage there. So my grandma actually came directly from China. And I was talking to her last night, and um, I, I asked her, did you ever expect that you would have a life in the U.S.? And she said, are you kidding? No. And I think that um, she always expected that maybe she would go back. And so I don't know if she ever felt completely settled in her life in the U.S. But I guess something that was significant for her was when she was growing up in China, she had a red brick house. And that was something that was pretty uncommon back in the day. And so even with this new life in the U.S., um, my grandfather with all of his hard work and their hard work together, he was able to get her a brick house here, too. Getting these stories from her grandmother, though, poses a bit more of a challenge. She spoke no English when she came. My grandfather um, helped her enroll in classes when she first arrived, and she actually didn't take too many classes, but I think she was pretty sharp. She went to school for a month in Portland, Oregon, where they first came through, and um, learned enough to read and write still reads her paper daily, her Laramie Boomerang, and uh, watches the stock market. <laughs> Hayden speaks English with her grandmother, and her mother acts as a translator when conversations get too complex. I don't speak Cantonese. Um, I did when I was quite young. Um, I spent a lot of time with my mom, and so she would speak to me. I think it became not necessarily a point of contention, but maybe a little bit of concern. When I got to kindergarten, would I be confused? Would I be able to fully integrate with English, and my dad doesn't speak Cantonese either, and so eventually she just uh, switched completely over to English. And so by the time I got to college, I wanted to be a little bit rebellious. I wanted to learn the language, so I went and I signed up for a class, and I came back and told my grandma, thinking that maybe she'd be proud, and my mom too, and um, they said, what are, why are you doing that? That's actually a language that's not going to be very useful to you outside of communicating with our family and maybe in some Chinatown populations around the U.S., because... As we know, China has changed a lot since World War II, and the predominant language these days is Mandarin. So I actually switched to um, taking Mandarin classes. So I speak pretty conversational Mandarin and very good Chinglish. 
Hayden says she didn't often feel different growing up in a multiracial household in Wyoming, but started to notice discrepancies when she left for college at the University of California at Berkeley. I think there were small instances um, where I would feel maybe out of place, or not necessarily out of place, but I would have a little question mark hanging over my head. So uh, I spent a lot of time with my mom's siblings and their children. And one of the questions for me was, oh, why do they have black hair? Why don't I have black hair? Um, and then for my sister, she went to a classroom holiday party in Cheyenne, and um, all, the, all the mom volunteers were there and she suddenly realized, oh, mom's not blonde. And then she never thought about it again. So I think when you're young, you're not really thinking about having two different cultures because because you're exposed to whatever your family is, you don't necessarily get to trade that out. So for you, that's normal. I guess it wasn't until I started to interact with some of my classmates in California who also had an Asian background where I started to parse out, oh, they, these kinds of things are similar and might be connected back to having this kind of cultural background. I casually came home after a semester away and was talking to some of my high school friends. I was like, oh, this is really great. Like, I found other people who are really into eating dim sum and <laughs> small things like this. And they said, oh, we never thought about you as being Asian. I said, well, maybe this is something that I would like to claim. Hayden initially stayed in California to pursue her journalism career, but the same work eventually called her back to the mountains. The thing that always drew me most to um, my assignments was being able to connect with the subjects. And I've never felt comfortable with the term being a storyteller. I like the idea of being more of a story sharer and helping people find a platform so they can better tell stories in their own voices. Um, and then I got to thinking, oh, my family actually has a pretty interesting um, experience too. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit. And so what I'm currently working on is um, collecting anecdotes and oral histories about the Asian American experience in the Mountain West. She also realized that her family's Mountain West story was comparatively rare. A lot of the coverage of the Asian American experience happens where there are major hubs of these communities. And so I actually never really thought about my being Asian or having this as a part of my identity until I left for California. And then suddenly I found all these people who seem to share what I previously thought were eccentricities, whether it's removing your shoes or eating rice with every meal. And I kind of wondered, why does no one talk about this experience or why is it less common to talk about this experience in you know, Wyoming where I grew up or Colorado? And I think it's partially a numbers game. There's not necessarily the density of the population. And so I got curious about um, exploring what that experience looks like when you're in the Mountain West, where you're not necessarily connected to other people in those communities who share that similar background. So, um, you know, our family story is not the only one in these areas, uh, but I'm kind of hoping that me sharing them encourages other people to share those experiences too. Her research into her family's story has taken her from Wyoming around the world to China. By being able to connect with my family's history and some of their experiences, um, I think it'll definitely help put my own experiences in context as well and also make greater sense of what it means to grow up as a person who shares multiple cultures, multiple identities, 
and bring those together. Hayden understands the power of sharing these multiracial, multinational stories. I think there's something validating about hearing other people share stories that might resemble yours until you have that self-realization that you can claim whatever identity it is that you want to claim and these multiple identities that make you who you are. You kind of feel like you're existing in this gray space. You don't quite fall on one side. You don't quite fall on the other. Um, So there's something that is... Um, there is something that's very fulfilling when you do have the confidence to say, I am this, and there are other people who have maybe not the exact same experience, but can empathize with it as well. These narratives matter too, just as much as one that is fully committed to one identity. You can find these stories and more at the Silk Knots Project, silkknots.org. This episode was produced by Annie Osborne. I'm Micah Schweitzer. Spoken Words is a collaboration between the University of Wyoming's MFA in Creative Writing Program and Wyoming Public Media.